Hello and welcome to the Autism in Real Life podcast. In each episode, you'll get practical strategies by taking a journey into the joys and challenges of life with autism. I'm your host, Ilya Walsh, and I'm an educator and the parent of two young adults, one of which is on the autism spectrum. Join me as I share my experience and the experiences of others so that we may see the unique gifts and talents of individuals on the autism spectrum fully recognized. Hello, everyone, and welcome. This is Elia with the Spectrum Strategy Group. And today um, is the first episode of my mini course on the uh, special education process. So in these next four, maybe five or six <laughs> episodes, I will be discussing each step of the process, as well as the forms associated with the process. Uh, I recognize I'm working with many families right now that are having some difficulty with IEPs and having some difficulties with um, transition plans. And so I wanted to kind of break them all down. And so today is um, episode uh, one <laughs> of this mini course. So it's part one. And uh, this particular one is about the IFSP. And again, more alphabet soup, but um, that stands for the Individualized Family Service Plan. And that plan comes out of uh, an early intervention process. And so um, what would have happened before we put this plan into place is early identification, and an early intervention evaluation. And there's a lot of different ways that that can happen. And uh, just as some homework from here, or maybe it's pre-work, uh, I have two episodes that talk about the early identification process. And one is episode 16, which is called early identification, which I'd say is sort of uh, an intro. And then I have um, episode 17, which is the early identification process um, with Kate Barlow, who is the the CDC Act Early Ambassador for the state of Massachusetts. And there's a lot of great resources in there and a lot of conversation around how the early identification and early um, intervention process work. Uh, so I'd suggest you go back and kind of look at those um, for more information. But for now, uh, what I'm going to take you through, and again, I recognize that this is a lot of information, uh, but you know, you can always come back and listen and click on the resources that I have in the description, and hopefully you can get um, you can get a lot of what you need. And of course, always reach out to me if you um, if you have questions. So uh, this early intervention process, and then hence this form. The IFSP form, would come um, before the age of three. So this is birth to age three. So that's what this is very specifically designed for. Why it also says family, because the family is a huge part of this particular age uh, and also this particular process. And so how is early intervention funded and how is all of that done? It is funded through um, your local community, your state, and the federal government. And so 
this is very specific. Also, I want to be clear to the United States. Um, and I am really not familiar with um, pe- for, for outside of the United States. And I do know there are similar processes. Uh, I do know that the components can be the same, but I'm pretty sure that they're called something else. Um, so if there's someone who uh, really can help me with that part, that would be really great for me. I know I have listeners elsewhere, but um, outside of the U.S. But I really want, um, what's important here too is not just the process and the forms, but the components which are relevant for every child. So uh, at, no matter what process you're going through or what you're looking for, I still think that these are good filters um, and lenses to be looking through. Um, So again, this process or the early intervention process is funded by local community, the state and the federal government. And as I mentioned in the precursor to this podcast, um, the federal government sets sort of like a, a minimum bar, which isn't which isn't that bad, actually. (laughs) Um, So there's this bar that the federal government will create, and each state is then um, able to, at a minimum, hit that bar um, or go beyond that. And so everything I talk about in these next few episodes is going to be very, you know, there will be more specificity depending on the state that you're in, but I will help you uh, I will tell you where to find more of those resources in just a minute. Um, But the overall process I'm going to be covering is a federal process. So uh, this is um, law throughout the entire United States. Okay, so um, while this would be the bare minimum that everyone has to hit, your state may have even more, you know, parts of this that can even be more beneficial for you. Um, But just so you know that this is your minimum, then at least you have a really good starting point, I think. Okay, so, um, you know, one thing to start with is uh, your healthcare provider. So, right, it's like we have a healthcare provider, you have maybe a childcare provider, or maybe you yourself notice that your very young child, younger than age three, maybe isn't meeting certain milestones, maybe there's something that you're you know kind of kind of questioning um, any one of those areas can kind of have a concern and that is where um, this process would start. So if any one of these providers have a concern about your child's development, then we can start this process. Now, the question is, where do you go once you have this little, mm, something stands up on the back of your neck and goes, this isn't feeling right. Um, it's different from state to state. So uh, I, have, I have included in this link, um, in this description for this podcast, there is a link to the CDC website, and it is uh, the link that's in here will take you directly to uh, a list of states, and you can click on your state, and it will tell you where to go. But here's the thing. At a minimum, you can ask your child's health care provider, or you can go to your local school district. So between your local healthcare provider may or may not know where to go, <laughs> um, but or I would say probably that that would be true if it's your primary healthcare provider, uh, they may or may not know where to go. But if you call the school district that you for where you live, they absolutely know where to send you because most of the time these services are done through the local school district or as a hybrid. So, and then we'll talk about that 
in a minute. Um, but at a minimum, if you're feeling uncomfortable or your health care provider brings something to you or um, a child care provider says something doesn't feel just right, you can call your local school district and they will connect you to the right resources to start the early identification process or the early intervention evaluation process. So let's assume you get all that done. Your, your child gets evaluated. Yes, we recognize that there are some delays and your child is now eligible for early intervention services. Now, this may not result in a diagnosis of any kind. What might come out of this is just, um, not just, but it would, it would be a list of areas of developmental delay that need to get addressed. So that's most likely what will come out of this type of evaluation. Sometimes, yes, it does lead to a diagnosis, but a lot of times it doesn't lead to a diagnosis, but it does lead to areas that we need to work on, essentially. And so once those come, uh, come to light and we've had those evaluated, then um, the district uh, will be responsible for creating this form with a team of people. So... The team that is on, uh, that is that would be on this uh, individualized family service plan would be uh, the family, of course, the parents, uh, or anyone else that makes sense to be there. That's from the family, um, and you you can have other families included other than parents if requested. You can have an advocate from outside of the family if you request it. You can also have. Um, a service coordinator, which you would most likely have. This would be the person who sort of brings all of this, the team together uh, and would be sort of directing and facilitating the process. And then there will be professionals that directly assessed your child. Um, and so those people would probably be there. And then you might also have the people who provide the early intervention services for your child and who will also, if there's anything that the family needs um, developmentally, then that also would, those people would also be there. Um, and then, you know, depending on what your specific child's delays are and what the needs are, you might have a medical practitioner there, a specific type of therapist, so it might be a speech therapist, a physical therapist, an occupational therapist. Um, um, and then there might be a child development specialist involved and perhaps a social worker. So that is a lot of, <laughs> those are a lot of people to have on a team, and I totally understand that. But I just want to give you a sense of who the players would be at the table, so to speak. And those would be all of them. Um, you know, there, there might be a, a little plus or minus there, again, if it's specific to your child. Uh, but Generically speaking, even though that's a pretty specific list, uh, those could be those could be all of the people at the table uh, in creating this document and being part of this process. Um, but this is kind of what we want. We really want to have a lot of different eyes on our kiddo um, and providing a lot of input. Now, part of this process now as we move into creating the plan itself is what is it that is very specific to my child and what are our priorities as a family and also what are the priorities based on professional input based on the assessments and evaluations that were done.
So um, once the child is determined as eligible uh, for early intervention services, here are some of the the steps that are included in here. So um, first you would review family concerns and what the family priorities are. So I mentioned that, and we'll talk a little bit about that as well. Um, you'll describe uh, what the child's present abilities are. What can they do? And that's, again, going to come from multiple sources. It will be from the family. It will be from healthcare providers. It'll be based on assessments. Um, and then, you know, what are uh, the, you know, you'd have to develop and prioritize what you know, functional child and family outcomes would be. Like, what do we want uh, to have come out of this document? What are our goals, essentially? And then we want to make sure that the child can do all of these things that we say are goals and priorities in a natural environment and whatever that in natural environment is. So it could be at home, it could be at childcare, it could be during mealtime, it could be during bath time, it could be during play. All of those things could be a natural environment where some of these goals and uh, priorities are going to be taking place in. Um, okay, and then we also want to use the child's strengths. So in order to do that, we need to identify what are the child's strengths, always. Um, so we want to make this strengths-based and use that as part of the goal process, the goal development process, and the plan to meet those goals. Um, and also, what are the strengths of the family, right, as we're moving through? And what kind of supports and resources do they have? And then... From there, we can identify the services that are needed to meet all of those goals. Uh, and then after that, we have planning for transitions. So uh, we have this zero to three time range, um, but nine months before the child's third birthday, we want to start creating a transition plan so that when they move into uh their third year, <laughs> um, or I guess the right as they hit three, we want to make sure that we have a plan in place for what preschool would look like. And then once they hit the age three of three, we switch to an IEP, which is an individualized education plan. And so then that moves into the school, definitely all school-based, so all school district-based for the most part. So, um, so that is sort of the different areas that we look to. So now what I'm including in the, in the description of this podcast are two examples of an individualized family service plan. Now, for every state, the form will probably look a little different, okay? Uh, the two examples I have in there are the state of Massachusetts, which of course is the one I'm most familiar with, um, but not because of that, but they have a really great uh, handbook guide. So when you click on the link, it's a guide to how to complete the form. And so it has little speech bubbles, it tells you what you need to write in here uh, in each spot, and then it tells you some considerations to take into account. So it's a really good usable document that applies to any IFSP because all the components that are required federally are in there. And then they just kind of created this handbook to help you uh, navigate the form. So I think that, and I will walk you through that. The other one I have in here is 
the state of New Mexico because also it's a really great um, handbook and family guide. And so uh, the one for Massachusetts does not have it filled in. It kind of just has uh, little prompts for what to do in each area. The one for New Mexico actually has a mock student in there. In there, So they have, um, you know, a hypothetical child with an age and all of the different pieces through there that you can see what it would look like completed. And it also has a family guide on how to complete the form. Now, this, both of these are excellent resources for families, for um, any, you know, clinicians or anyone else that's part of this or any teachers or any of those, you know, any sort of child care provider. Both of these would be really, really helpful in creating creating this particular form and completing it and also bringing uh, a family and a team through the process. So, uh, these would both be very helpful no matter what state you live in. Now, if you live outside of the United States, these are also really great prompts um, and questions that you can ask of whoever or whomever might be working with um, you and your child. So, again, I think they, they it, it, it's kind of makes sense. Like, why wouldn't you ask these questions anyway? Uh, but, again, so I'm going to walk through the form. So... These links will be in the description. So as I'm talking, talking you through it, you could actually pull them up when you have time and, you know, actually look at what I'm what I'm seeing. Um, And, you know, we can you can hear me talk about talk through all of these pieces. So when you pull up those these two forms. Um, the first thing we have is, of course, uh, you include the child's legal name, uh, the name that's on their birth certificate, uh, and any other legal documentation that you might have. And then uh, it has the child's address and family members, uh, what the primary language is at home. Um, all of these things should be included uh, in here, date of birth. Um, so really just basic information that um, we would need to collect so that we can know that who we're working with here. Um, the next part here, uh, now f- it, it'll be different for each state where this particular piece is housed, but um, the next is who is on the team, right? So we just talked about all the different people who could potentially be on the team. This particular section of the form will now list out the name of the person. It lists out what their role is. So if it's a parent or a service coordinator or a speech therapist, all go in there. Um, and then what their contact information is. Uh, and also what the term of service is for that person. Now, of course, if it's a parent, you know, that's forever. Took that on. Um, but if it's, let's say, a physical therapist, we might have a start date that that physical therapist will be um, starting with the child. And then what's the expected end date? So those kind of uh, dates might be on there as well. And let's see, the other thing that might be here would be why is the child eligible? So what is their diagnosis or what are the the, um, the delays that we have found um, and, and why. So um, one example here they have is uh, 
is the, a developmental delay, and then there's codes here, but it, depending on the state that you're in, it could be just listed out what the delays are. Um, there are other things that could be on there. Is there a medical risk? Is there an environmental risk? Um, so those pieces could also be checked off in this particular area. So, uh, so you might see that too. Of course, all dates should be on here. Dates of when, uh, when we start when we start this process should all be in there. And if you look at the state guidelines um, or the federal guidelines, which, you know, the state guidelines might be more aggressive than the federal guidelines, but there are times around how long all of these the pieces of this process should take. So make sure you check what um, what the time frame is for, uh, for when you begin um, so when you bring it first to either your healthcare provider or the school district that you think there there's a delay, there is a there's a period of time in which those types of evaluations need to take place. Um, I believe it's 45 days. So uh, there should be that, but you want to also make sh make sure when you talk to your school district uh, how many days. It, it will be. Um, it should be within a 45-day time frame. As I'm, you know, fr from my research, that's how long it should take at this point. Then to complete the form <laughs> should also be another 45 days. So we have 45 days. We've we've alerted the school district. They start bringing people in to evaluate your child, and then within those 45 days, you should have um, evaluations in process. Um, once all of those evaluations and assessments are done, we take that information and we have another 45 days to create, uh, to start this, kind of go through this process, okay? So keep those time frames um, in mind. Now, you have the right to waive those dates so you can push them back if, ha if you have to for any particular reason. Um, but again, remember that that's what is required. So you want to keep that in mind as well. Um, okay, so as we move through here, the next place that uh, is really, really critical is whoever the service coordinator is. Again, that person that I said is sort of responsible for the process and facilitating it should be asking you about what your daily routines are, what your child and your family strengths are, and what the needs are that you're seeing at home. Okay, so um, you will take now, now each, again, each form in each state might look a little bit different. Um, so one of them, so for example, for Massachusetts, it says the daily routines, the strengths and the needs at home. And the other one says everyday routines, activities, places and people in your life. Okay, so, um, so some questions you might get asked are, you know, what are the easiest or most enjoyable times of the day? Um, then, of course, what are the hardest or most challenging times of the day? Uh, what sort of tasks and routines are easy um, or more challenging? So what about waking up in the morning? What about mealtime? What about nap time? Playtime? Downtime? Bath time? <laughs> um, bedtime? Family activities? Maybe that's going to the grocery store or maybe it's... Um, you know, we talked about playtime, uh, but what is what do what other types of family activities? Maybe it's visiting a particular family member, um, and then we look at that. S uh, what about social and community gatherings? Uh, coming uh, home or going from home, 
pick up and drop off, maybe at a child care um, service, running errands, you know, or maybe it's work and school schedule. Uh, and again, maybe it's going to doctor's appointments. Um, and the other form also has meal times, uh, meal times at home, and meal times at childcare, free play at childcare, free play at home. Um, so again, both of these documents are, have a slightly different way of asking the questions. But basically, we want to know um, how is your child uh, behaving during all of the different points of the day in in multiple different settings. And what, given the things that they are expected to do, which are eat, sleep, um, right, be, be able to be bathed, get dressed, play, um, and communicate. So we want to collect all of those bits of information, and not just from parents, but from any other family members that uh, interact with the child. So once we gather that information, we put that on the form. And again, both of these documents give you very specific examples and uh, also, you know, give you a lot of really good prompts uh, of ways to think about what, you know, what kind of routines in place. Sometimes we don't think about those things because we're just in them. <laughs> um, and this helps you kind of pull them out. Um, other things here now that it might ask you is what, um, here's an example of a question. What are your most important concerns, difficulties, or challenges that your child and or family experiences during daily routines or other concerns, difficulties, or challenges that you would like to help, that you would like us to help you address in the IFSP? It may be helpful for us to review your child's most recent assessment information as well. So again, as I said, in addition to what the family is uh, requesting or what the family concerns are, we're also going to look at the assessments as well so that we can kind of marry the two. Okay, so here's an example for that one. Um, this hypothetical child name is Gianna. So we can't understand what Gianna wants or needs because she is not using words. Dinner is a challenge because we don't know when she is finished eating and she wants to get up before everyone else is finished. So it's hard for all of us to enjoy a meal together when we can't understand why she's getting frustrated. Okay, so that is a parent concern and that would be something to address. Now we might find from the assessments and the evaluations that maybe there are some sensory sensitivities or maybe there are some attention uh, challenges and that could be why mealtime is, um, is a little bit frustrating for the family and then now we can address that and then that comes later so the goal on how to meet this comes later but right now th this is the type of information that we're collecting okay and um, the other piece here is uh, also we want to know who else is important in this uh, child's life, right? So, and we also want to know who uh, who takes care of the child. Um, do grandparents live at home, or are they sometimes uh, care providers, or maybe it's another family member? Perhaps it's siblings that we need to take into account here. So, we need to get a good holistic view of what this child's interactions are, and um, with whom is the child also connecting to. 
Uh, again, also, who are people who support the parents um, and what roles do they play? So, again, you know, oftentimes it's a grandparent or maybe it's a, a sibling of the parent that maybe also lives with them or takes on um, a, a, a supportive role. So we need to look at that as well. Um, so is there also anything that the family needs to learn? So this could be another piece. Maybe families need to learn more about infant development, or maybe they need to know about how to care for their child, or maybe medical needs, specific medical needs. So maybe we could put that in here as well. Um, so again, there's a lot that goes into this. And when you look at the forms, um, you'll see that there are a lot of pieces. However, we really want to get as much uh, information in here as we can so that that way we can really get a good picture of this student's um of the student's life and what the family is facing as well. And uh, there's another piece here under supportive resources. So it could be a medical provider, maybe it's a place of worship, or maybe it's a support group. So again, we want to take, we're really taking into account community. Now, for those of you who might have older children who are in transition, maybe even in the older grades, uh, in the high school phase, um, we look at all the same stuff again once we get into the transition process in high school. So um, this stuff comes back. So it, again, this doesn't go away. And this is these are things we should always be thinking about no matter how old a child is. Um, but again, while we're here, this is, this is these are all the components we're looking at when we're creating this IFSP. Okay, so as we move through that, um, we now move into the health and eligibility summary. So this piece is an overall summary of the child's health. So this could be, you know, coming from medical records. Again, this could be coming from assessments. And in here, there should be uh, all the points of why we are creating this document to begin with, right? So it's going to have a history of what the pregnancy was like, um, what the birth was like, um, anything that we're noticing, and that what, what were some of the concerns that the parents have seen. Um, doctor's notes could be in here. Uh, and again, the assessment could be in here. And it, it does get very specific. It can be vision and hearing. Um, and, and again, a developmental summary, what areas, uh, what targets are the child is the child hitting, which ones are sort of delayed. So again, it's pretty comprehensive. Um, and we want to make sure we cover all of that all of those pieces. So once we've added all the health uh, pieces in there, the next piece is what are the present abilities and strengths, right? So, and needs. So we're going to look at all of it. So now we're going to look at um, what does your child do and what are they really good at? And how do we demonstrate proficiency in certain skills, right? So we're going to look at that. And then we're also going to look at what the needs are. Okay, so um, both of those go in here. Again, the form might look different depending on what state that you're in. Um, so these two will look very different. They're also, um, if I'm just looking at these two, these particular pieces are in separate places. Okay, um, but we cover again the same topic. So we're going to cover um, developing social and emotional skills. We're going to look at acquiring knowledge and using that knowledge and what skill building. We're going to look at, you know, the way a child meets their needs uh, and, and those different pieces. So, um, again, 
you know, we want to make sure we take all of that into account. And if you look at these two examples, you will see some really good examples uh, of what, you know, what a child uh, with certain strengths and with certain needs might be. Um, so, yeah, so I would definitely take a look at this. Um, I would say uh, one example they have here is, uh, so a child's strength, Gianna walks, runs, and dances, but she falls a lot. She is trying to use a cup and a spoon, and she can drink from a straw. She will assist in getting dressed and loves her bath time. Gianna has a few words and will growl and grunt, point, gesture, and pull an adult to communicate her needs. She responds well to music and singing when she is distressed, and such, uh, such as during a long car ride. Okay, so that's one thing that, you know, there's some strengths in there. I would say there, there are some challenges starting to poke through, right? <laughs> um, and then let's see, the next piece is what's the child need uh, here. So Gianna doesn't like a lot of foods. She likes meat, but not foods like pudding and yogurt. She also does not like to be dirty, sticky uh, when eating. She will stuff her cheeks and then spit her food out. Gianna tends to take a, a little while to settle down at bedtime. She may squirm or cry and get, uh, and get out of bed. Gianna is not yet using words to communicate her needs. So in the final bucket here, they actually list uh, what age uh, she is functioning at. So right now the chronological age for the student is 22 months, so we're not quite two. And they assess uh, her fine motor here as 21 to 22 months. So we would say, yeah, that seems okay. But the self-help piece only 13 to 18 months, right? So um, it gets very specific here. So this tells us a lot of information so that when we go to um, creating our goals, which is where we're getting to now, um, is uh, we know what to look at. We know exactly what kind of um, goals to create. And then we actually add who will be responsible for meeting that goal. Uh, so again, the, it, it comes, um, they're written in terms of what is the child slash family outcome that we're looking at. And then we create the goal and then we add who would uh, be responsible for that. Now the goals, I have a whole nother uh, podcast on creating smart goals and Remember, we want them to be specific. We want them to be measurable. We want them to be achievable, uh, realistic, given this particular child and also given the resources that are available. And we want them to be time bound so that we know we're going to expect progress by a particular time. And if not, we need to look at that and see why, you know, maybe why we didn't hit that target or maybe we exceed it. And then we start and develop a new goal. So um, those, those are the areas that come into the next, this next section here. It's um, where the uh, child and family outcomes are. Uh, and then as we move through that, we now put people associated with that, as I mentioned. So who's going to be responsible for achieving those goals? This is very similar to an IEP, for those of you who might be familiar with that process. Um, and then we go into um, another piece where we start moving into the transition plan. Now, this transition plan is very, it's all housed into this one document. 
yes, even for a child under the age of three, we start thinking about what is this going to look like when we transition them into a preschool setting and what do we need to do and by when. So this, this kind of helps to, in my opinion, it's, I don't know if it's designed that way, but in my opinion, it's kind of keeping everybody, you know, with their feet to the flame, so to speak, so that um, people know, hey, we have, you know, this child's 22 months and Gianna, this hypothetical student, Gianna, um, she has a year before she's going to be transitioning to a preschool. So we have to get some stuff done before within this year. And that's the time frame we have. Now, by the time we get to to her third year where she'd be moving into a preschool setting, we need to make sure we have these things done. Okay, so um, this uh, transition plan is housed right in the same document. So this shouldn't be something that gets waited for until later on. Okay, so um, keep that in mind as you're moving through this process. So other things that could be added to this, that would sort of be as the latter part of the document, but not anything less important um, would be the any additional um, any additional information that we need to add on to here, right? We would add that in here as well. Um, and now we have the consent form. So one thing to think about is as you move through this process, um, once everyone is agreed to what's on here, then we have the consent of the parents on here to then go ahead and provide these services based on all of the information that we discussed. And something to keep in mind is these, this process and every process that I will be talking about going forward needs to be conducted in the language that the family is most comfortable with and in a way that the family is most comfortable with. So again, if the dominant language in the family is not English, well, we need to find out what that language is. All documentation and all communication needs to be done in the language that is most comfortable for the family. So uh, again, we have to make sure that we are keeping that. Now, um, and that can come, again, a request can come from anyone that's on that team to make sure that that is being done. It, it's sort of like if, if you're noticing something doesn't feel right because the family's not understanding, then we need to make sure that the family understands. That is also true with all of the information that is listed in these, on these forms, whether it's the results of an evaluation, the results of an assessment, the creation of the goals. We need to make sure that families understand what's being written here and understand what the process is. It is a huge disservice if the family does not understand what's happening. And uh, as I, I now have my educator hat, so I know you all know I kind of flip between educator um, and student advocate and, you know, and uh, family advocate. Um, but as, a, as an educator, it falls on us to make sure that if we feel that a family is not um, able to understand what's on the form that we definitely need to make sure we figure out how to get that done. And uh, just a, a quick story about that for me, I was... Um I was actually just a substitute, I will say, early on in my education career. I am bilingual, so I do speak Spanish. And there was a family where we were going over an eligibility um, it was an eligibility meeting, and it wasn't even my meeting, and it wasn't even my student, but because I spoke Spanish, they asked me if I would translate. That, is, that was a long time ago. Um, that is no longer adequate. 
my being able to speak Spanish has nothing to do with the school's responsibility in making sure that the family understands what the process is and understands all of the assessments and evaluations. It was a very difficult meeting because I'm trying to translate terms that I've never really had to experience in Spanish. My brain is, you know, not programmed for... um, you know, psychological assessments and all of these different types of assessments that were done. It was a huge struggle for me to learn it and then be able to translate it. Um, And that is not the right type of service that I would want to provide to a family. And that was, and it made me super uncomfortable. Um, I had come to learn later on that that was actually not an appropriate, uh, you know, type of accommodation, if you will, was to bring me in. They really needed to hire a professional translator who is familiar with this type of documentation that is familiar with the educational processes and the special education process um, and be able to then better communicate with the family and so um, you know I just add that in there because it's it's all fine and good to try to define all of these forms and you know explain all the different components but if we can't even get it to the family so that they understand it, uh, then, right, this stuff doesn't matter. And the whole goal here is to make sure the family is completely included in this process and that we do what's best for the child. And, you know, always my ultimate goal. So I just add that as an additional <laughs> as an additional aside. Um, so depending on what hat you're wearing, you want to make sure that that is something that's taken into account. So as we kind of finish up once this whole document is created and everyone has consented and we have all the right players in place and now we decide yes we're going to go through we sign off on this boom now we can start doing our thing um Something to keep in mind is that this is a living document, just like an IEP, just like a transition plan. These are living documents. They can be changed and reviewed at any time if something is not working or that we find some new information or something new comes up. They can be changed at any time and it can be requested by the parent or by any one of the service providers. Um, At a minimum, this document should be reviewed every six months. So if everything is kind of going, yeah, we're doing our thing and, you know, we're making progress and we like everything that's going on, then let's check in every six months and make sure that, you know, yeah, everything is still on target and we don't have to change anything. Um, And then at an even lower bar, I would say, is every year we should definitely check in, but the form has to actually be updated every year. So we're, we're going to assume that over a year's time, especially with super young kids, right, like there should be progress and there will be change. So we need to update the IFSP yearly. We need to have check-ins at a minimum of every six months. And uh, honestly, it can be changed at any time. Uh, depending on what the family circumstances are or the educational circumstances or the needs of the child change. So, again, let's keep all that in mind and that all of this is, again, a living document and we can change it as we need it as we need to, to meet a child's needs. Again, you know, that is my ultimate thing. I am a student and child advocate. So, 
some great information, some resources for you to find out more. I mean, I know this is a lot already, but as I said, I will include the links to these two um, sample documents and guidebooks. Uh, also, a great site is understood.org, and I'm going to have a link specifically to how early intervention works and how to create an IFSP, so that is in there. Um, also, there's another great resource called IFSP Web, um, and that is ifspweb.org, so there's a link there for that. Um, there's also another great document. Um, ERIC is an educational resource uh, kind of clearing house for students with disabilities and for gifted education. So uh, there's a document in there and an article in there that I think um, would be really helpful for you. So I have that in there. Um, and also what the federal regulations are for early intervention. So I will put that and that is directly from um, the federal uh, federal education site. And then I will put the links for these two um, sample documents for you. So I hope this is helpful. And if you have any questions, you all know how to reach me. So feel free to reach out and connect with me and I can try to answer questions as I can. Um, and uh, I hope uh, you all have a great rest of your day. Take care. Thanks for listening to Autism in Real Life. This is Elia Walsh, and if you like the show, please hit subscribe so you can get notified each time a new episode is released. I also offer training, consultations, and parent coaching, and would love to help you in any way that I can. You can check out my offerings at thespectrumstrategy.com, and when you join my email list, you can get a code to receive a discount off of an online class or a coaching session. Looking forward to hearing from you. Take care and see you next time.